Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today and learning for this entire week is dedicated by the Torah Center Diamond Donors, Orly Nisachar Avichai Amit Alma and David Hakmun Daniel, in loving memory of Chai Hakmun. Also dedicated in loving memory of Nuri Dayan Alava Shalom. Lelu Nishmat Ezra Ben Shafir by Rabbi David Bibi. Also dedicated for the Fuashlema of Chana Bat Simafega and Eliyahu Shalom Azal Fortune. And breakfast in the class is dedicated in loving memory of Nishmat Meir Ben Abraham, Hanulad Min Sarah. We always remember his strength, warm character, kind heart, devotion to his family. May his Nishama have the highest Aliyah and Shalom by his grandchildren, Miriam and David uh, Isaac Ashvili. Also dedicated by the Manchur family in honor of Ora and Nathan Hurizade and the birth of their baby boy, Simantov Mabruk Mubarak. <clears throat> also, breakfast of the class dedicated in honor of Hashem. And to all those with a bar mitzvah of Parashat Terumah, in loving memory of Nishmat, Saida Shulamit Bad Rachel, Vimeir Halevi, by her grandson, Benjamin Bestov. Uh, finally, the week of Kobra was sponsored by David e. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. Hazaku Baruch. Let us begin. My friends, the Torah tells us that atop the Aron Kodesh, on top of the Holy Ark, there is a kaporet, a, uh, uh, a gold shelf. But on top of that, what else do we have on top of that? On top of the, called the kaporet. On top of the kaporet, we have kiruvim. Okay? Now, the pasuk says it specifically. Ve'asita shenaim kiruvim, zahav. You will make two cherubs. Zahav, that are made out of gold. Mikshata seotam. You make them banged out, like we said, uh, yesterday we mentioned about the menorah. They are banged out. Mishne kitzot akaporet. From two sides of two... Kitzot literally means edges. But the edges of the cover of the cover of the... of the, of the Aaron. Ve'aseh kiruv echad Make one kiruv on one side. Ukiruv echad and one on the other. Mina kaporet kiruvim. From the cover should come the kiruvim. So if, if you can imagine a thick slab of gold, they're banging it down so you have a, a bottom part which is like a, a flat board and the top part which is the cherubs that sit on top of the, uh, of the kaporet. And these kiruvim will be spreading their wings lemala above. They cover with their wings, they shelter with their wings ala kaporet the faces of the cherubs are one to the other. Towards the kaporet. That's what the Pasuk tells us with regards to these cherubs. Now, we know something very interesting about these kiruvim. What's so interesting about the kiruvim? Rajiv says, what are these kiruvim, these cherubs? Demut paratsuf, the shape of the face. Tinok lahem, of a child, of an of a, of a infant. So there would be a, a the, one keruv would have the face of an infant. Chazal tell us as well that one was a, a boy and one was a girl. And they were facing one another like the Pasuk says. And they were covering with their wings on the kaporet. Please only answer Amen if you are here with us live listening to this beracha. Or if you're listening live on iTorah. Okay. 
Chazal tells us one other thing. That whenever Am Yisrael was acting correctly, the Kiruvim were uh, in the way or in the position that we just described them. However, when Am Yisrael was sitting, then the, the faces of these two Kiruvim, they would turn away from each other. Now, obviously, this is a miracle. The Kiruvim were not created with a mechanical ability to rotate on their axis. They were, it was one piece of gold banged out. So what we're referring to over here is an open miracle. But for those people that are unaware, this is not, this is not uncommon. In fact, the Mishnah and Avot tells us that there were 10 miracles in the Beit HaMikdash that were on display every single day. So it, there were open miracles taking place on a constant basis. Part, I think, of the reason why a person was able to get kapara uh, when they went to the Beit HaMikdash by bringing a korban, I believe, is because not only that you brought a korban, you had a sacrifice of an animal, and now your sin went away. When the person came and did this korban, they witnessed the reality of God in an inescapable way. The, the Mishnah brings that there was a column of smoke that would rise up from the korbanot. Now smoke, as you know, blows around in the wind. But no matter how fierce the winds of Jerusalem, uh, sometimes in the winter, no matter how fierce they are, the column of smoke was never disturbed. It would rise in an exactly straight line from the Mizbeach uh, to, the, to the sky. That is an open miracle. There's, there's no denying something like that. There are other examples as well, that the meat would be out there, there'll be tons of meat, and you'd never see a fly in the, play, in the square of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, if you've ever been to the marketplace, Machne Yehuda, Shuka Bukharim, you know that that's not the norm in Jerusalem, okay? There's flies everywhere, all right, when, when, you, uh, when you have something like that. Many examples. So the fact that it's miraculous is not surprising in the temple. And I think the kapara came to people because they were able to bring a sacrifice and do teshuvah from a place of absolute recognition that God existed. That was part of why the Beit HaMikdash worked so well at bringing out kapara, at bringing people closer to God. But my friends, I'm not focusing here on the wonder of the miracle. I'm not focusing here uh, on the aspect that it was a miracle. I'm focusing on, over here on what the siman was. What was this sign? Why was this sign present? Now, I remember reading something very beautiful. That You know, uh, in the Holy of Holies, it's a very sparsely uh, uh, furnished space. Let's just talk about, talk about it. Right? In the Beit HaMikdash, in the entire width of the Beit HaMikdash, what do you have in there? No couches. There's no chairs and tables, right? There's no uh, credenzas, right? There's nothing going on over there. It's very sparse, what's, what, takes, what takes up space in the, in the Kodesh. What do you have in the Kodesh? You have the Mizbeach HaZahav, you have the Menorah, you have the Shulchan. What else? Correct, nothing. That's it. There's no ramp on that Mizbeach. The Mizbeach is on the other side. The ramp of the Mizbeach is on the, in, the, in the Azara. The Mizbech HaChitzon, okay? That's the only thing in the Chatzir. So there's very little in the Beit HaMikdash. And you come to the Kodesh HaKodashim, and what do you have in there? Only one thing. Only the Aron. And our rabbis point out that when a person uh, carves out a Kodesh Kodashim in their life, 
that which is holy of holy, you don't get to put more than one thing in there. Let me express what that idea means. Every person has to figure out for themselves what their Kodesh HaKodeshim is. In every area of life, you're always making choices. Always. You're choosing between this and this. Now, not always is the choice between a good thing and a bad thing, or between a bad thing and a bad thing. Sometimes it's between two good things. But even between good things, you have to make a decision. Let me give you an example. Right now, we're studying Torah. A little bit, a few, a little few minutes ago, what were we doing? We were praying. In the time that you're praying, you could have been learning. But we're choosing not to be learning when we're praying. Why? Because davar bi'ito matov. A thing in its time, how good it is. A person has to be doing various things throughout their day. And I could choose to do a different thing, but in any given moment, there needs to be a focal point. Something that I'm looking at and deciding, I'm doing this and I'm not doing something else. So the Kodesh Kodashim, what did it have in it? As we said earlier, it had the Aron Haidut. And what was that point? That point was revolving around the Torah. However, the most noticeable thing in the entire room has got to be what? The Kiruvim themselves, the children. My friends, the future of the Jewish people has always been about one thing. It's always been about the children. My favorite line about this is that uh, young people or children make up 20% of the population, but 100% of the future. So for Am Yisrael, what goes in the Kodesh HaKodashim? The faces of Tinokot of children. But those faces sit upon the, the Aaron, on the Aaron Ha'edut. So what are we in fact saying is the focal point of everything in Judaism is children who are being raised on Torah. Literally the mashal of the Aron Haidut with the Luchot in it. With children on top of that is children who are being raised in Torah. That's the idea. I'm very proud to say that upstairs today we are having a, uh, a beautiful occasion with the same school where the children are going to be receiving in the Beit Knesset. They're going to have a celebration of what they're learning. So it's an incredible combination of that moment. But my friends, just like the Kodesh HaKodashim is a space that has nothing else in it, a person also needs to be able to have times, spaces, opportunities in their life where they clear away everything else and recognize that their primary objective is this. I want to share with you something very, very uh, powerful. Our rabbis tell us <coughs> our rabbis tell us a, a, a yesod. Now, oftentimes, this yesod is quoted in the name of the rabbis, but you won't find it anywhere. En davar haomed There's nothing that stands in the way of a person's will. Ever hear that statement before? Go find it for me. It's not, it's not in the Gemara. It's not in the Mishnah. It doesn't appear. It does not appear. The first time you find this idea is actually much later, uh, much later in, on, in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the Sefarim. Okay? En davara omed You don't find that expression. The idea is taught in many places. 
In many, many places, we find this concept that if a person wants something enough, they'll be able to achieve it no matter what. One of the places we find this idea is in this week's parasha. Hashem says to Moshe Rabenu, he's going to build this Mishkan, he's going to have this Aron Kodesh. Rav Yaakov Galinsky brings this concept that if you actually add up the weight of the gold that went into the Aron, the Aron was unliftable. It was too heavy to lift by human, uh, just by having three, four people gather around. It's too heavy. But the Aron was noseh et nosav. It lifted those who lifted it. Many times, when a person finds a cause that is important enough, something that for them means so much, what happens all of the sudden? The Aron, that thing, that focal point, the Kodesh Kodashim, that for them is holy of holies. It's not just holy, holier than other things, than things that are mundane. It's holier than holy things. When a person is able to focus strongly enough, and by the way, a huge part of focus is not what you pick to look at. It's what you pick to not look at. It's what you're deciding to not focus on. Part of focus is in being able to shift out, to grade out, those other things. Suddenly, you're able to achieve something that you would never have been able to do. You're able to take on a lift that you were never able to do. My friends, when they first started making airplanes, they had, they had a huge problem. Now, most of you are too young to remember. And when I say that, I include myself. There was once a time when people got dressed up to go on airplanes. Did you know this? Today, we do exactly the opposite. You're going on a flight, you want to make sure you're wearing very comfy clothes, you want to make sure you're wearing your good, those shoes, sneakers, right? You're not wearing a belt, so you don't have to take it off and have it scanned, right? This, we're dressing down. But at the time, when air travel was reserved for the wealthy, it was an expression of wealth. So people came on, if you take a look at the original pictures, you'll see people sitting there in suits and ties, suited and booted, with their wives wearing beautiful dresses, right? That's what it looked like on the plane. And they had a huge problem. I don't know if you've read about this. The floors of the airplane were made out of aluminum. And they were, the, the, the floors had holes punched in the floor. How did it happen, Rabbi Lawrence? High heels. Today, <laughs> Which woman would be wearing heels onto a plane? Nobody, right? And also, we would have floors that would be able to handle it. But back in the early days, those heels were punching holes in the floor. Okay? How does a heel punch a hole in the floor? The answer is, when you take the entire weight, of course, a woman doesn't weigh anything. You should never say that she looks fat in anything. She doesn't weigh anything. The concept of weight is non-existent. Okay? But... You know, when you take whatever weight she has and you put it on a, a, a heel, which is about one centimeter wide, right? The force of that uh, weight condensed into such a tiny space causes effectively uh, the, the, each step that she was taking to be like we were, you were taking a, uh, a sword and plunging it into the ground, okay? That is the power of condensed focus. 
So we took Kodesh Kodashim, we cleared everything else from it, and we said, what is the focus, the holiest thing for a Jew to focus on, is how to be able to raise children on Torah. If there's anything else in that room, you're going to fail at that mission. I need to say that again. If there's anything else in that room, if there's anything else you focused on, you're going to fail in that mission. That needs to trump everything. And when it trumps everything, then you could be blessed with this unbelievable gift. So my friends, I asked you. I asked you earlier about this, this miracle that would take place. That when the Jewish people were not doing what they were supposed to do, the Kiruvim would rotate away from one, one another. Why was such a thing happening? How come God deemed that miracle necessary? Why was that important? And I think that there's something very beautiful in this, uh, in this teaching of Chazal. You know, a lot of times, um, you have people who will tell you with their mouth that the education of their children is the most important thing in the world to them. They'll even do actions which indicate that that's how they feel. But yet, however impossible it sounds, they will act against their own interest by doing things that ruin that education. Let me explain. You have someone who will tell you, Jewish education is very important to me. You know how much I'm paying to send my kids to a Jewish school? But then what happens when you get those 10 precious days of vacation with your child and you spend the time that you're on the vacation doing or undoing all of the education that you paid the school to be able to inculcate into your child. You're operating against your own best interest. You teach your children again and again and again. And it's so important for you. So important that they should learn the value of shalom. But they see you all the time arguing with your brother, your sister, all the time. They see you yelling. You tell them about the virtues of patience. And then you're impatient in explaining to them patience. My friends, what the Torah was communicating here is that if Am Yisrael out there is not doing the right thing, then even the children are in a separate room. Even if they're being raised on Torah, even if everything is there, what will happen is, it will seem like it's a miracle. And by the way, a miracle is not only a thing that happens for the good, a miracle is also something that happens badly. When God breaks the laws of nature, because He's teaching us a lesson, that's also a miracle. Sometimes I point this out. You know, during the time of, uh, of the Holocaust, you know, the achievements of, of, the, of the Nazi military uh, army were above nature. The way they were able to sweep through the entire Europe in such a short time to take on nation after nation after nation, it was beyond the capacity. It was clear that there was something here at play. There are times when God does a miracle to save us, and there are times when the miracle is not in the direction that we want, but it's still happening in a supernatural way because it's part of the plan. Whatever the plan is, we don't understand it. My friends, 
the Kiruvim were made to face each other. But then miraculously, they would turn away. Because you cannot think that your children will be educated in a vacuum that you create. That I can give them the education and raise them on Torah in this room. And no one gets to go in that room. And the children are not going to see what I'm doing. Those Kiruvim are going to be protected from my choices out in the real world. It doesn't work that way. Somehow, our rabbis tell us in the time of Mashiach, the children will be Nevi'im. Nevu'ah will be given to those that are mentally unstable, to Shotim and to Yeladim, to children. I think that's why you find sometimes in difficult moments in Jewish history, they would find children, like Mordechai, he would find a child and he would say to the child, Psok li psukecha. Tell me, what did you learn? And God would give the answers to their problems through the mouth of the babes, of the children. Okay? My friends, children are Nevi'im. What you are doing that they don't see still has an effect on them. It will still cause them to turn away from one another, to turn away from the kaporet. You want great children. People always are asking this question. How do you raise great children? What are the best chinuch tips and tricks? The greatest chinuch tip and trick I ever heard in my life is that there are no tips and tricks. There is no way to shortcut this. The greatest way to make great children is to be a great adult. And when you're a great adult, then the kids pick up on it. Even if they're in a room where they can't see you. My friends, Hashem should bless us that we should be zocher to be role models for our children. But the most important part is to recognize that role modeling is not only in the presence of. Role modeling is in everything that you do. And they say you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool your family. You know? And I'm sure nobody here would want to fool their family, but I'm just saying you can't. Somehow they understand, somehow they pick up, somehow they know. You know, a lot of times in a class, if I'll tell a joke, my kids can always tell before I deliver a punchline that I was joking. And they'll tell you, because when I'm setting up a joke, I have the tiniest hint of a smirk. Other people don't see it. They take it, they take me seriously until, until I deliver it, until I deliver the punchline. But my kids somehow always know. And sometimes when they're in the class on Shabbat afternoon, I'll start saying something, you know, and I'll see one of my kids turn to the other one and say, like, they catch me. They know. They get it. You're fooling a lot of people and then you're telling that joke, but you're not them. Not them. And if that's the case, then it's best we understand that if this is the most important thing for us, this is Kodesh Kodeshim, it starts by being able to say, nothing else compares to this, and anything that hurts this, I'm going to stay away from. And the reason Hashem illustrated that was to be able to let us know that no matter where we are, it has that effect on the children turning both away from each other and away from God. 
And conversely, when we do the right thing, that also is something that they pick up on. And Baruch Hashem uh, can be delivered to children uh, even not in their presence. So the tzedakah you give that they don't know about also has an impact on them. And the time you forgave someone and you didn't need to, they also are impacted by their father's forgiving spirit, even if they don't know about it. So it still does. It would be better if they did, but it still has that effect and it still raises them and it still does uh, the positive things too. Amen amen.